Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome to our fall Sunday. We're going to do a ribbon cutting after this service for our new playground that's out there. And looking forward to not just our church family using it, but our community using it. And Lord willing, in the future, we'll be able to do some expansion on that as well. I also got a, something new coming up. We're going to start a, for a few weeks, anyways, as, as we close out this year, we're going to start a Saturday night service. Oh, hello. And um, <clears throat> the idea there is this. With the holidays, we get it that uh, life can get kind of crazy, and people are like, ah, oh, you know, we got this going on, this going on, it's really hard to get to church on Sunday morning. And so we thought, well, starting on November 11th, which is our next new series that we're going to be uh, doing, we're kind of putting that together right now. It's going to be kind of a what the Bible has to say about culture type of uh, series. And so we're going to start it on the 11th and the 12th, Saturday, Sunday, um, and then go through our Christmas services which our first one is on Saturday the 23rd, um, and they'll all be at 5 o'clock. We have three Christmas services this year, Saturday 5, Christmas Eve 9 and 10.30. And then we're going to do something different. We're going to have a a carol sing on Sunday night, and we just thought it might be kind of fun to do something a little different, maybe kind of a throwback um, to the old days. And so we're going to be doing that Sunday night. Um, I think it's at 7 o'clock. So the Saturday night service is going to be kind of a pared-down service. We don't want to put a whole bunch of more work on our uh, volunteers. And so uh, Josiah will be up here leading music. If some of our music team wants to help him with that, that's great, but we're not asking them to necessarily do that. Um, <clears throat> we're going to kind of make it a family service, so kids can be in the service with the parents, and then we're also going to make our Grace Kids rooms and nurseries available. Um, should the you know kid be like this, that ball guy is really boring? Can we? Can I go do something else? And then you, you know one of the parents can take the kid into the other room and, and play um, until I'm done. You know I usually get done in two or three hours, so um, it should be okay. Anyways, we're looking forward to that. Hope you can uh, join us for that. It'll be kind of fun, something different. And again, we'll be doing it through the end of the year just to you know free us up a little bit. So we've got a great morning. Uh, already had a great morning. I already had a hot dog and. Uh, <laughs> I bit the side of my mouth. Uh, so thank you. Appreciate that. Who care? Um, so, man, that hurt. Anyways, um, but really, if you're watching the news, we're living in kind of a, a scary world, right? We've got the news focused on, at least they had been focused on, Ukraine and Russia and the battle that's going on there and the concerns of the, all the different political stuff that's going on and and then we had Hamas attack Israel, and so now people are even more concerned. I heard about a couple other potential battles that are going to be going on, or nations going after other nations in the news. Heard about that. But uh, I, I even heard talk. I, I, I made the mistake of I listen to talk radio um, from time to time, and I don't know why I do that to myself, but um, I do. And, and they're talking, people are talking World War III. I don't know if you, I mean, if you're paying attention. It, don't if you if you're not currently paying attention, just keep going. You know, it's bliss. It's bliss. Anyways, no, we do. We live in a, a scary, scary world. I have the opportunity this morning to bring you those of you who have not been here for the last several weeks right into the middle of a series that we've been doing uh, in the the life of King David, uh, King David, who was Israel's greatest king. 
And so my hope this morning is, though you may not have been here, and I'll give you a quick review here in a second, but though you may not have been here, my hope and my prayer is that the things we talk about this morning, and this, especially the group of verses that we're going to really focus in on, that you'll take from this perspective on events that are happening in our world today. Because things that happened 3,000 years ago, when King David was king, the things that God said to King David, the promises that he made to him, will give us perspective on today. And then with that perspective, my, my prayer is that we'll take that and go out of this building with confidence, knowing that God's got it all figured out, that God's working through this. This is also part of his plan and what he's doing. Because the events of David's life, we've been seeing up to this point, the events that we're going to see today and the things that we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks as we finish out the series, all of that will give us perspective and confidence. So go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 1. It's page 317, if you're using the Bible there, in the seats. Uh, and as you do, let me just kind of get you caught up to what's <clears throat> been happening. Um, so we started out talking about the fact that uh, king Saul was the, the first king of Israel, and he kind of messed up. He rejected God and started doing stuff his way and not God's way. And when, um, when David was 10 or 15 years old, God said, hey, David, you're going to be the future king of Israel. And so you imagine a 10 or 15-year-old kid find out they're going to be a, a king of a nation, right? And so we find out that when he's about 16 to 19 years old, he's not old enough to be in the military, but he shows up on the lines, he, he finds his brothers, he actually brings his brothers some food, and then he goes out and he kills the giant Goliath. Um, and then Saul's like, hey, this guy's awesome. So Saul brings him to work for him full time. David becomes a successful commander. He's out fighting all the battles for Israel. Saul will send him out. David would go out, his men, and David, they would defeat everybody. And the people were singing, you know, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. And they were just loving how awesome David was. But that didn't sit well with Saul. So Saul becomes jealous. We find out that Saul then tries to kill David several times, throwing a spear at him in the palace a couple times. David runs for his life. He's actually on the run for about 10 years. He'll finish that up today. Um, but he's on the run for 10 years. Saul keeps on chasing him. And David actually had the opportunity to kill Saul a couple times, but he chooses not to because one of big, David's big things is, God said I'll be king. I don't need to manipulate things to make it happen. I'm going to let God take care of it. Then we found out last week that Saul and his three sons were, were killed in battle, just as God said that was going to happen. He's going to remove Saul from the, king, uh, the kingdom from Saul. And so he did that ultimately by having him killed uh, in battle and the three uh, sons as well. And again, if you want to catch up on that, you can go to ohiograce.com, media, Northwood. Uh, we're one of three campuses, and so you can find Northwood. That's me. Uh, my name is Harold, not Northwood. We are in Northwood, just in case you're wondering. All right, so today we're going to be picking up the story. And again, for those who haven't been here, kind of hang in there because I'm going to do my best to get through 10 chapters. You guys ready for this? <laughs> sure you are, liars. You're all like, I picked today to come to church? Oh, no. Anyways, so what I want to do is I want to summarize these 10 chapters, and then I want to um, hone in on uh, a few verses in chapter 7, 
Because in that, there's a, a promise that God makes to David. In theological words, it's a, the Davidic covenant, yes. Um, but there's, there's some promises that God makes to David. And it's those promises, and we're going to talk about some that happened even before that to another guy named Abraham. But it's those promises that are going to cause us, I pray, that have right perspective on what's going on and to have confidence in what God's doing. All right? So here we go. Hang in there. There'll be some slides up on there. If, if uh, Caleb can hang in there with me. I got a bunch of slides for him to throw up there. So as we move from 1 Samuel, which we were last week, to 2 Samuel, David has returned to Ziklag. Ziklag is a city in um, Philistia, in the enemy territory, where he has been hanging out. He's been going on raids to the southern enemies of Israel without Israel necessarily knowing. He's been taking out the Amalekites. These are some of the enemies of that area. When he comes back to Ziklag, um, again, Israel has just been defeated by the Philistines up in the northern Israel. They've occupied the cities. Israel's pretty well beaten up. Saul and his sons are dead. Some guy who had been a prisoner of war that Israel took from the Philistines, he breaks loose from Israel and he comes down to David. Because he's probably thinking, I want to get in good with David, because I know David's been you know, going up against Saul. So he comes to David. David says, hey, how did things go up north? And he said, not good. The Israel, the army has been defeated. Saul and his sons have been killed. And so David grabs his people, they get together, and they spend time mourning and remembering Saul and Jonathan. Remember, Jonathan is David's best friend, the son of Saul. So David is a, is a songwriter. We know that he's written a bunch of psalms in the Old Testament. And so he takes time and he, he writes this song in honor of, of Saul and Jonathan. Now you might be thinking, well, why is he doing all this? Saul was the guy who was trying to kill him. Now understand, David did not hate Saul. David faithfully served Saul because that's what God wanted him to do. It was Saul who was jealous and hated David. And so David wanted to make sure all of his people understood that Saul being king was what God wanted, and, and uh, David was going to honor that. And so they spent time mourning their death. Well, just because Saul is dead doesn't mean that David's life is going to get any easier. He's still technically on the run. This is part of that 10-year period. And so he's got Abner, a great name, Abner, uh, who is the commander of Saul's armies. He lived through that defeat. And so he's there. He takes Ishbosheth, which is a hard name for me to say, but uh, who is Saul's other son who was not fighting for some reason. He puts him in place um, of Saul. All right. And so uh, David goes to God and says, Hey, God, what do you want me to do? Because he's currently in Ziklag. Just FYI, Gaza. You know, Gaza's been around for a long time. All right. So that we hear about Gaza today, same place. Anyway, Ziklag, he's hanging out in Ziklag. So God says to him, hey, go to Hebron, which is southern Israel. And I want you to go there, and I want you to hang out there until further notice. And so he goes down there. The leaders of the southern portion, what we call Judah, uh, they come to David, and they're like, hey, we want you to be our king. And so they put him into that position. So now he is king of Judah, king of southern Israel. Israel. As you might guess, it doesn't sit well with Abner and Ishbosheth. 
I always feel like I'm going to swear when I say that name. So if something comes out that's wrong, let me know. Um, oh, no, you will let me know. Call them Ish. So anyways, they're, they're not happy about this. And so civil war breaks out. You got the South fighting against the North, the North fighting against the South. Kind of sounds familiar. And as this fighting is going on, these skirmishes and battles that you can read about, um, it says that Judah, southern Israel, is gaining in strength. And the northern kingdom of Israel, they are weakening. So as this is happening, Abner is realizing, oh boy, I got to make sure that I'm good to go. So he's going to make sure that he's safe, that he doesn't lose his life, but he also has power going in because Judah is going to eventually overtake them. So he reaches out to David. There's a whole story behind it. I'm not going to get into the whole story. It has something to do with David's uh, first wife and you know, all that. You can read the drama, the soap opera, if you want. But what, basically what he says is, Hey, David, I want to know, do you want me to bring Israel under your control? Because see, he's actually the one controlling Israel. Ishbosheth, as we find out, is not a very strong man. He's about 40 years old, uh, but he's not a very strong, emotional, emotionally strong man. He's not a leader. So Abner is kind of the guy. So David's like, yeah, let's do that. So they meet up. They have a, a peace summit. That's all good. Everything's ready to go. They got the plan in place. Abner leaves Joab, who is one of David's commanders. He's been down attacking the southern enemies as well. He comes back. He didn't know about this peace summit. So this is all new to him. There's a problem here. Because Abner has killed previously, Joab's brother. So Joab's like, I don't trust this guy. He's trying to get in on David. He's going to mess us up. And so without David knowing, Joab and his men, they chase Abner down as he's heading back to the northern part of, the, of Israel, and they kill him. And they take his head, and they bring it down to David. Well, David is not happy about this. This is not what David wants. You remember, David's whole thing is, I want, God says, I'm going to have the kingdom. And so I'm going to let God be the one who does this. I don't need other people helping me make this happen. God's going to do it. So he's upset. And so he takes time to mourn. The author tells us that the, the show of mourning that all of Judah gave for Abner went throughout all the northern part of the kingdom. And it's interesting how God can use certain things, right, in, in people's lives to change hearts. And these people in Israel realize, hey, David didn't want Abner dead. This obviously is showing that he did not want him, and, uh, want him dead. But also, when Ishbosheth heard the news, it devastated him. In fact, it said that he uh, lost his courage. Again, he, he relied heavily on Abner. So now we've got a situation. Ishbosheth is not ready to lead on his own. Abner is dead. Two of Ishbosheth's commanders realize this guy is not the guy we want leading us. And so they're thinking ahead, well, maybe we can get David to come in here. So we'll go and we'll kill Ishbosheth. So one afternoon, he's taking his afternoon nap. They come in and they kill him. They assassinate Ishbosheth. They come back to David, and you can read about what David does to them because it's not pretty. Because again, he doesn't want. Other people manipulating things. He wants God to do it. And yet, interesting, God is able to operate within the decisions people make. And these things turn out for David to become king of Israel. 
Because when the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, when they uh, hear that Ishbosheth is dead, they go to David and they say, Hey, David, we know that back when you were serving Saul, it was really you who was bringing victory to our country. Saul wasn't really our leader. You were really our leader. And so we want you to be our king. And so finally, 15 to 20 years after God says to David, you're going to be the future king, 10 years of running, basically, that he's had to do for his life, David becomes king. Now, I'm giving you some years. I'm giving you some numbers. And I'm going to give you some more numbers. And I just want to key you in. Why am I doing that? Because part of understanding perspective is the fact that God works in his time, not in our time. And so it took 15 to 20 years and a whole lot of grief we've talked about for David to eventually become king. It didn't happen overnight. So chapters 5 through 10, that was just chapters 1 through 4, chapters 5 through 10, I'm going to really summarize for you because there's a lot of whole, you know, stuff going on here, but... For what we're trying to do today, we don't need to get into all of it. Here's how it breaks down. In chapter 5, David takes and defends Jerusalem. Up until this point, the city of Jerusalem was controlled by a group of people called the Jebusites. So Saul didn't have control of uh, Jerusalem. David, when he first came on, on the scene, didn't have control. But he goes and takes control because Jerusalem, key city uh, for Israel. David brings back the Ark of the Covenant. I won't get into that other than to say the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God back in the Old Testament. And so they brought back the presence of God into Jerusalem, which is kind of a key thing since they're worshiping God. Uh, God makes an eternal covenant with David. So this is what we're going to kind of focus in on here in a, in a few minutes. Then David expands the southern border in uh, chapter 8. David adopts Jonathan's crippled son in chapter 9, which is kind of a cool story. Uh, you may not have known that uh, Jonathan had a son. He was crippled. And, um, and so David brings him in, fulfilling a promise that he made uh, to Jonathan. And in chapter 10, David expands the northern border. So by the time we're done with chapter 10, which that was it, 5 through 10. Wow, okay. <laughs> I get a couple, yay. Okay, I'm really feeling confident here. So David's expanded. The nation, he's secured its borders. He has skirmishes with the Philistines. And you might be saying, great, Hero, thanks. You're an awesome storyteller, and this is wonderful. But how does this give us perspective? How does this give us confidence? Well, that's a great question. Before I tell you that, let me give you a little quick history. 4,000 years ago. Now, does everybody realize that the world's been around for longer than 240-some-odd years that the United States has been? Okay. So, 4,000 years ago, there was a guy living on this earth named Abraham. Abraham was not one who feared God. Not initially. But God reaches out to Abraham. He, he meets up with Abraham, and he initiates a relationship with Abraham. He gives Abraham a promise or a covenant or a contract Whatever you want, to, you want to call it. And in this, he says to, to Abraham, I, I'm going to promise you that I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great name. You're going to have a great name because of this. I'm going to bless all the people of the world through you. So not just his descendants, but all the people of the world. And there's going to be a large portion of land. Now, this is the portion of land that's 
It's in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. This is the portion of land that God told Abraham he's going to one day give his descendants. Okay, you follow me? So first of all, in the blue are all current day nations. Almost every one of those are enemies of Israel, or at least moving behind the scenes to mess with Israel. It goes from Egypt to southern Iraq, all the way up to Lebanon, and then back down the Mediterranean, back to Egypt. That's the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. Now, God says also in that, before any of this takes place, before any of this starts happening, your descendants are going to be enslaved for 400 years. All right? So, keep the blessing for all people, that promise, and the, the promised land, this big section of land. Keep that in your mind. Remember, write it on your notes or whatever you want to do. Keep it in your head. Ready? Moving forward. Jacob, Abraham's grandson. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Jacob, Israel, his son, one of his sons is named Joseph. We did a whole series on Joseph. Joseph's older brothers, because they were jealous of him, sell him into slavery in Egypt. All right? Famine happens, all that kind of stuff happens, and David and, and, or um, Jonathan and the family, Joseph and the family, they come down to Egypt. There's about 75 of them. 400 years later, the Bible says. Israel is now two million plus people. God initiates a relationship with a man named Moses. He says, Moses, I'm going to work through you to free Israel from slavery. Which happens. You can read all about it in the book of Exodus. You may know the story. Moses takes Israel out. Israel wanders in the desert for 40 years down in this area here where it says Sinai, basically. They're kind of roaming around for 40 years. It's, this gets good. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. And they go into the land, and you can see the portion of the promised land that Joshua and Israel take. It's that yellow thing over there to the left. By the time David becomes king in Judah, you following me? They've been in that portion of land for 400 years. Another 400-ish years. They've been in there, they've been battling nations, they've been fighting, all that kind of stuff. So, then, 3,000 years ago, which is when David becomes king, all right, after he's been king for a period of time, we don't necessarily know how long, God gives him this promise. And I'm going to read the promise where I told you about Abraham's going to read the promise that God gives to David. And here's how it goes. So God's speaking to Nathan. Nathan will tell this to David. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, it's kind of funny to following the sheep rather than leading the sheep. But anyways, to be ruler over my people. Now, he says, I will, n numerous times. God wants David to know, I'm doing this. Not you, David, I am. I'm the one moving you into this 
kingly role, and then these promises that I'm going to give you. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make you a great name. Again, God's going to do it. Like the names of the great men who are on the earth, i.e., someone like Abraham. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Now, this has not happened up until today. It didn't happen in David's day. It happened for a brief period, maybe in Solomon's day. But it has not happened. So this is something, it must be talking about something in the future because it hasn't happened till, up until today anyways. Even from the day I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Okay, so this is kind of weird because David's already built a house for himself. So, you know, what's he talking about there? Well, house could be temple, family, lineage, descendants. Um, so that could be part of it. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. Okay, again, God's going to be doing it, not the descendant. He shall build a house probably meaning temple here, for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Key word. It's a long time. That's eternity. Hmm. Hmm, hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity or when he sins, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. There you go. By my loving kindness, uh, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. So he's saying, this, this descendant, and really all the other descendants, you know, I'm going to discipline them. If they disobey me, I, I will go ahead and discipline them. Uh, but my loving kindness won't ever leave you. So I'm going to be in relationship with your descendant. All right. Uh, then back to David. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever, again, talking about eternity, in accordance with all these words and all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. All right, there's a lot in there. I'm going to focus on three things that pertain to what we're talking about this morning. The first one is that God will give Israel complete peace in the land. All right? He also talked about this descendant that's going to come from David, and he's also talking about David's kingdom lasting forever. So we want to talk about those three things quickly here as we move forward. So God will give Israel uh, complete peace in the land. He uses words like plant, not disturbed again, not afflicted anymore. He's trying to get across to David and anybody who's reading, including us, that there's going to be a point in time in Israel's future from David, and we're going to see future from us, that there will not be any war. There's going to be full-blown peace there's not going to be any issues that Israel's going to have to fight. Now, here's the deal. Israel's been in the land about 3,500 years up to this point. Okay, 3,500 years. They've, they've never had peace in the 3,500 years. Now, why is that important? Well, part of it is, is just because of what we're being told. Media, uh, politicians, people in the Middle East... They'll be saying, hey, Israel needs to get it kicked out of this land because they're, they're the new people. 
They just came in in 1948. No, Israel has been in the land for 3,500 years. They came in as a beat-up nation. God gave them the nation. They eventually became a nation with a king. Then they had a divided nation. Then they were a nation under the control of other nations, all the way up until right before 1948 when England controlled that area. And in 1948, they were given some boundaries very similar to what they originally had when they went into the land. Not all of it, but similar to it. And so they haven't had peace. And so this peace that he's talking about here has to be something in the future. Something happening in the future. And again, they've never lived in the extent. That's just a portion that they were given in 1948. But they've never lived in that entire section. So, holding no peace and no land off to the side for a moment. When we talk about a descendant of David, that's where we're going next, this, this descendant. There were only two descendants who could fulfill the things that we're going to talk about. It could either be Solomon, his son that he puts into, into the king or onto the throne, which we'll talk about a couple weeks from now. It'll either be Solomon or Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is a descendant of David. He is God. And so he is the one who can do all these things and make it eternal. All right? So the first thing it says here, God will establish his kingdom. And so this is kind of a twofold fulfillment. First one is Solomon became king, and it was the most peaceful time that, um, that Israel ever had. The problem is God said that that peace would go on forever, and it didn't go on forever. Solomon, when he died, it, the nation split back into two, and they had civil war again. But he did have, for a period of time, a stable, peaceful, successful, earthly kingdom. Jesus, on the other hand, not only has a spiritual kingdom, he also has an earthly kingdom, and he has a heavenly kingdom. So in Matthew 3, 2, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come. He's talking about himself. God initiates the relationship. He brings Jesus Christ, God the Son, who became man, Jesus Christ, comes to earth, initiates a relationship, first with Israel and then with us who are not Jewish. And he says, hey, the kingdom of God has come. And what he's talking about there, it's a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom of our hearts. It's where we place our faith in Christ. God forgives us of our sins. God places God the Holy Spirit in our lives. And now we are adopted into God's family. We're part of his kingdom. He is our king. We're his servants. We do life the way he says to do, like any servant would do for their king. And we obey. That's the spiritual kingdom. In Revelation 20, which is in our future, evidently, because this is an earthly 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth. Revelation 20 talks about it. You can read it for yourself. Now, here's the cool thing. In those verses, it says that Jesus will reign. He binds Satan, and he's, he's going to reign. This is after the tribulation period. This is after God destroys all the enemies of God and of Israel, Jesus. Basically, anybody who's left on the earth after the tribulation and Jesus' destruction are followers of Jesus Christ, primarily Jewish people. They're going to enter 
the land, the big land. Now, Jesus, as we understand from Scripture, he'll be reigning in Jerusalem. He'll be reigning over the land, and he'll be reigning over the entire earth. But the land promised to Abraham will be secured by Jesus. Then Revelation 21 and 22, we find out that the, I won't get into all the details, but this world will no longer exist after a thousand years. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth that comes where Jesus reigns in the new heaven and new earth on a throne. So it's a heavenly, it's what we call the eternal state. So when we talk about heaven, we just say real quickly, hey, heaven, we're in the presence of God. But there's going to be a point in time where we're in some sort of spiritual, physical world that God is going to be recreating for us to live in. I know, blow your mind, kind of crazy. Uh, I just told my family, when I get to the point I'm on my deathbed, just keep reading Revelation 21 and 22. I just want to keep hearing where I'm going, you know, um, because it sounds pretty good. I'd like to, like to get there. All right, so next, God promises that the Senate will build a house. I need to fly here. So the descendant will build a house for God. Now we know from 1 Kings 6 that Solomon builds the temple. All right? David wanted to. God said no. Solomon builds a temple. So there's a partial fulfillment. But then there's that eternal fulfillment. That Jesus is building a spiritual heart, uh, house, spiritual house in our hearts. Ephesians 2 19 to 22 talks about that. 1 Peter 2, 5 talks about it. Again, I'm just giving you the verses. You can uh, look them up later. But he talks about the fact that Jesus is building this spiritual house, this house of worship. And what it is, is everybody who places their faith in Christ is like a brick. And he's putting these bricks together and building this house in which people worship. You know, we talk about, you know, this is not God's house. I know we sing a song about God is in the house. You know, this is not God's house. This is God's house. The Bible tells us that we are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And so, you know, this is a building that we get to meet in. But spiritually speaking, Jesus is doing that. And he says, God will us throne forever. Again, Solomon can't do that. He died. But Jesus can because he's God. And so his kingdom will be forever. It'll be eternal. Then the last promise to descend is that God will be his father and he will be God's son. I could be wrong. You can correct me if I am, but I don't think God ever said to Solomon, you're my son. I don't think Solomon ever said to God, you're my father. But we know that in Matthew 3, 17 and other places, God called Jesus his son. We know that in Matthew 7, 21 and in other places, Jesus called God his father. And here's the cool one. In Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, the author tells us that when God said to Abraham, there'll be a blessing of the nations... He was referring to Jesus Christ. God, the Holy Spirit, led the men to read uh, the write the Old Testament. God, the Holy Spirit, led men to write the New Testament. And God, the Holy Spirit, is saying, hey, when he said that back in the Old Testament, he was actually referring to Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, when he t- said it to, to David, I'm sorry. When he said it to David. So then God comes back to David and he says this. Your house, probably meaning lineage, and your kingdom will last forever. Again, how's that going to happen? It happens through Jesus Christ, who is in the line of David. So at the start of this, I said, uh, my hope is, my prayer has been that 
will gain perspective from what I just got done talking about. Some of you guys are just like, oh my word, just give me some hot apple cider um, and make it hard and put something in it. Anyways, uh, and that is going to give you, shh, I didn't take that out of the recording. Uh, and, the, the, and confidence, to give us confidence as we move forward. So here, let me just give you some perspective. Okay, because perspective is everything, especially as we see the world around us. So here's the first bit of perspective. So God's timing seems long to us, right? We want him to be moving. You know, we got things to do here. God, move, 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 move. Whether it's what's going on in the world or in our lives, we always want him to be moving faster than he is. But listen, perspective is that from Adam and Eve's sin to Abraham is about two to 3,000 years. From Abraham to David, it was about 1,000 years. From David to Jesus was about 1,000 years. From Jesus to us is about 2,000 years. And for us to eternity, who knows? The Bible tells us Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. We may die before that. We don't know. But God is working. And so whatever he's doing, he's always moving. He's always working. Again, not as quickly as we want, but he can work in his time. And we got to let him work in his time because the second thing is true, and that is God's timing is always perfect, and he always keeps his promises. Abraham, he said, I'm going to give you a great name. Abraham has a great name in this world. He is the father of the Jews. He is the faith father of Gentiles. And even Islam considers Abraham to be kind of the start of theirs. I know Muhammad, but they go back to Abraham and Ishmael. He's a great nation, Israel. He brought the blessing for all people. We know that now that that was Jesus Christ. And we're still waiting on the land. David has a great name. I mean, you, you put up a statue of David, and people, oh, that's, that's a statue of David. I couldn't do it, but you know, other people are more, a little more civilized. They can do it. But he's got a great name. He had a descendant. He actually had two. Solomon, he had Solomon and Jesus Christ. We're still waiting on complete peace, and we're still waiting on an everlasting kingdom. But everything happening in the world today, can throw all the way back, actually 4,000 years. God's got this. God's moving in this. God's, he knows what he's doing, and he's working it out for his plan, and we just get to sit back and watch it happen. So here's the confidence. If you know you will spend eternity with Jesus when you die, then nothing here on earth will scare you. I get it. We'll have our times where we get a little worked up. We spend too much time with the news. I get that. But when we get, a, get back with God and we start working through all that, we're like, okay, no, no, God's got this. I can trust God. God's going to take care of what's going on. Look what Paul says in, the, in his letter to the church at uh, Galatia. He says, even so, Abraham believed God. So he goes all the way back to Abraham. He believed God, the promises that God made, and it, his belief, was reckoned to him as righteousness. So God said, hey, you believe what I said? Abraham said, yeah. Okay, you are right with me. You are good to go. We are in relationship. All right? Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. So in other words, he's saying, hey, make sure everybody, Jew and Gentile, that they understand that being right with God has everything to do with faith, everything to, to believe God and what he promises to us. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, means to declare someone 
guilt or not guilty of their sins or make us right. So he would justify the Gentiles, that's you and me if you don't have any Jewish blood in you, by faith. Again, it's by faith, by trusting, believing, not doing good stuff, not doing enough good stuff. You can't be good enough for God to save you. You can't. It's great news because a bunch of people are trying and then they're guilty because they don't feel like they can be. You don't have to be. You have to believe God's promise about who Jesus Christ is. And so by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. This is, I was writing the first time. Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. That was the message that ultimately we find out looking back on Abraham. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And so Jesus Christ is the blessing for all people. It's through faith in what God promises that when Jesus went to the cross, this is what he promises, when Jesus went to the cross, he died on the cross, not for his sins, because he is perfect, but your sins and for my sins. And so he took that judgment that eternal judgment. Because left to ourselves, if, if God doesn't remove our sins, and we can't do it of ourselves, we just read it, then we're going to spend eternity in hell. A place that was reserved really for Satan and his demons, but also for those who don't want to take God's offer of salvation, which is the only opportunity we have. And then with that, it's not just that we'll spend eternity with him, but then he promises to provide and protect for us protect us in this world because God the Holy Spirit will be in us. So to close this morning, I'll just go ahead and close your eyes. Um, and I just want to offer an opportunity for you here this morning who have maybe never had that conversation with God. That you're sitting here and you're like, oh man, I wish I had that confidence. I wish I knew for sure that when I die, I'll spend eternity with Christ in heaven or the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth. Now, if, if, if you're a person who has prayed this prayer, I feel like I need to clarify this each week, but if, if you're a person who has had a conversation with God in which you said to God, God, I know I'm a sinner, I've disobeyed you, and that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and I'm trusting in that, that promise that you said my sins are forgiven. If you've done that at any time in the past, the Bible says that you are forgiven of your sins, you are made right with God, God's Holy Spirit is in you, and you have um, an eternal relationship with God established. But if you're sitting here this morning at 1133, I know, I've got to get hurrying here, but if, if you're here this morning at 1133 and you've never had that conversation with God before, you've never said, God, I know that I've sinned against you, I've disobeyed, and I know that without you, I'll spend eternity in hell. And I'm believing your promise that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that you'll forgive me if I trust you. If you've never had that, pro that, that prayer, had that conversation, then let me just challenge you right here, right now, to say this to God. God, I know I've sinned against you. I know that without you, I would spend eternity in hell. But I also know and I believe by faith in your promise that Jesus died on the cross 
for my sin. I'm trusting that. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Now keep your eyes closed. Again, if you've prayed that prayer right here, right now, for the very first time, if you just slip your hand up real quick, I'd just like to, to know that, and I can I'd pray for you. I could even have a conversation afterwards if you'd like. But if you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I prayed that prayer for a little bit. I'm old, so my eyes don't function real well. Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for um, the opportunity to look into your word. I thank you, Lord, for the perspective that it gives us, even on situations today. I thank you for the confidence that it gives us that when we know we have a relationship with you established, that you've got this world taken care of, that you've promised to provide and protect for us, uh, protect us while we're here. And then when we die, that you've promised, because God the Holy Spirit is in us, that we'll spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray that maybe this information was new to some people, and so as they're kind of thinking about it, I pray that um, you would not let them rest until they make that decision, that they know the peace that comes, they know the joy that comes, the relationship with you that you are offering. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen.